Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Carl. Wonderful. Thank you, Milne. So today's sermon title is called The Gift of Presence. One of the things that makes us uniquely human is our ability to wonder. We come into the world wondering, don't we? I mean, that's why when we were two and three years old, we drove our parents absolutely crazy with this one three-letter question we asked over and over and over again. What was that? Why? 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 Why did we ask that question? Because we wondered at that age. And then as we got a little bit older around this time of year, many of us wondered, how in the world does Santa Claus get all those presents to every house across the whole world? We wondered about that. And then as we got a little bit older, we wondered what it's like to fall in love. And then a few of us fell in love, but it was our cousin. And then we wondered, is that okay? Is anybody going to find out? And then most of us got over that, depending on what state we lived in and our state laws. You know, we kind of moved beyond that one. And we just kept wondering. Lately, many of us here have been wondering, given all the controversy and the drama around the Washington Redskins, if the Redskins are ever going to be a good team again. And lately, I've been wondering, with seeing Congress on the verge of actually passing a budget that might even go to 2015, it looks like it's probably going to happen, could there actually come a day when Republicans and Democrats will get along and be able to work together? We wonder about all kinds of things, don't we? There are many of you here in this room right now, and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, but you love this church for people who don't go to church. And you like coming to this place because no matter where you are in your journey and you haven't figured out stuff and you've got a lot of questions, but you know what? You can come and be free to, to kind of explore faith. And one of the things that you wonder about, because you, know, you, you believe that there's something beyond yourself, you believe in a higher power and maybe that's God and you're not sure. Well, but you wonder, if there is a God, what's God like? Could I ever know? And there's questions that you would, you would ask God if you could. You wonder about that sort of thing. 
And then there's many of us in this room, myself included, who we've grown up in church. And we do believe, we call ourselves Christians. But if we're going to be really honest, there are times in our lives where we have serious questions and we wonder about God. You know, maybe going along fine for a long time and then we hit some hard times. We see some tremendous suffering experienced by people close to us and we start to wonder, God, are you really there? Do you really care? Or, you know, maybe you've been praying for a long time for something and it's not one of those, you know, can I win the lottery or, you know, date a supermodel kind of prayers, okay? It's like one of those really, like, you know that's a prayer that, you know, God should answer. It's a real altruistic prayer. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and nothing is happening. And if you're honest, in the back of your mind, maybe you try and squelch that out. You kind of wonder, does God really hear my prayers? I mean, there's like 7 billion of us on this planet. I mean, does God really hear what I'm saying? Does God really answer? If we're going to be honest, we all wonder at times. And some of you who are here right now, and you're like, you know, you are all in when it comes to your faith. I'm making you a little bit uncomfortable right now. But I got to tell you, it is just a human thing that we all wonder. I even wonder, okay? As a pastor of this church, I wonder at times. In the middle of praying, I'm like, okay, am I just talking to the ceiling here or am I talking to God? I mean, that's just sometimes those things creep in. We all have times when we wonder. The scripture that we just heard from Matthew chapter 1 is an absolutely fantastic scripture for us to look at during those times when we wonder about God. And it's a story that we often can kind of get caught up in, in how familiar it is. You know, we've heard it before. If we've, if we've been in church around this time of year, we've, we've heard this story before. Or maybe you get caught up in the storyline because it's pretty dramatic. You know, you've got, you've got Mary and she's a virgin and she's pledged to be married to Joseph. And then all of a sudden she's pregnant and Joseph is like, well, it clearly wasn't me. So, so, you know, he plans to divorce her. And then this angel shows up and it's actually God that's involved. I mean, it's a pretty dramatic story. And in all that's going on in that story, and in how many times we've heard that story, we can actually lose sight of the three most significant words that are in that passage. And that's what I want us to take a look at today. They're found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. This is Matthew, the tax collector, who left his life of corruption and went to follow Jesus when Jesus called him to do that. And this is Matthew's account of Jesus' life. So this is what Matthew writes in chapter 1. All this, meaning all the stuff with Mary and Joseph and the angel and all that, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here he is referring to the prophet Isaiah. And if you know your Bible, in the Old Testament, there is a book that was written by the prophet Isaiah. It's aptly known as Isaiah, and it's from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And basically what Isaiah was writing about is he was making this prediction of this Savior, this Messiah who was going to come, and he was going to rescue the nation of Israel. And so Matthew is quoting 
this prophet Isaiah, because people at that time believed that there was a Messiah who had been predicted that was coming. And so Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through this prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes him, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and here are the three words, don't miss them, God with us. Now, I want to try and explain why this is so powerful. These three words, God with us, are so powerful, okay? Here's the deal, and, and there's just one fill-in for you this morning if you want to write this down. If Jesus is God with us, if Jesus is God who's come to be with us, then you don't have to wonder about God. If Jesus is God with us, you don't have to wonder. All those questions, all those doubts, all those things you would like to ask God one day, if you just had a chance to get a direct answer, you don't have to wonder. Because here's the deal. If Jesus is actually God who came to this earth and took on human flesh, then you're not kind of relegated to think, well, you know, God is this higher power, this force that's kind of somewhere out there in the heavens. And, you know, I don't really know. He's just mysterious. You know, God is this thing and totally nebulous and vague. And I don't really know. No, no. If, God, if Jesus is God with us, he has come down to this earth and revealed himself to us. He, he shows us who God is. So here's the deal. If Jesus is God, you don't have to wonder if prayer matters. You don't have to wonder if your prayers make a difference and if God hears those prayers and if you're ever gonna get your prayers answered. You don't have to wonder about that. You know why? Because if Jesus is God, and I know this is a big if, and we're gonna get to the if, if you're like, if you're hung up on that word, okay, we're gonna get to that in a few minutes, all right? So just stay with me. But if Jesus is God, then we know that prayer matters. You know why? Jesus talked about it all the time. Jesus was praying all the time and he was instructing us how to pray. I want you to look at Matthew's account a few chapters later in chapter seven, verses seven and eight. This is what he writes that, that Jesus said. Jesus said this, Matthew recorded it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in fact, in the Greek that actually, it's, it's a repetitive action. It has to do with persistent prayer. So really, if you, if you want to go literally from the Greek, it's this idea of keep on asking and it will be given. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. And then Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, if Jesus is God, then we don't have to sit there and go, Oh, I just wonder if, you know, does God really hear my prayers? Does, do my prayers really matter? If Jesus is God, we know exactly what God thinks about prayer because God has just said it. If Jesus is God with us. You see how that clarifies things for us? So when we see all kinds of suffering in this world, when we see all kinds of injustice happening, when you turn on the news and you're just depressed to all get out, and you just start to wonder, what does God think about all this? Where is God in all this? Does God care about all this stuff that's going on? Okay, listen, if Jesus is God who came to be with us, if, and it's a big if, okay, but if Jesus is God, 
then we don't have to wonder what God thinks about suffering, do we? Because what did Jesus spend his entire ministry doing? He was out there with who? With the blind, the deaf, the lame, the sick, the mute, the oppressed, the marginalized, right? Those who were just the outcasts of society. And he healed and he counseled and he restored and he brought hope. That's what he did. That was his life. So we don't have to wonder what God thinks about all this suffering and all this injustice. Because if Jesus is God, we know God's heart for this. God is fully engaged in trying to stamp all this out. And in fact, what we know, if you've read your Bible, is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you now are the extension of Jesus. And you, it's our responsibility as his followers to do what he did when he was here. So if Jesus is God, you don't have to wonder about that. If Jesus is God, we don't have to wonder where we stand with God. Come on, come on. You, you, you probably thought this at some point, you know. Man, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I've lived a, a good life. And, you know, I, I know I've made some mistakes. I know I've hurt a few people. And there are a couple things that I really regret, you know. And, and I, if I could do it all again, I, I wouldn't do those things. But on the whole, I'm pretty darn sure that God, you know, looks down on me and is pretty happy with me. And, you know, one day, you know, if there's a heaven and I'm going somewhere, like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident, I think, that I, I know where I'm going. But in the back of your mind, maybe you still wonder about that. You see, if Jesus is God, you don't have to wonder about that. You don't. Look at John 3.16, one of the fa- most famous verse- verses in all of the Bible. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, he's referring to himself, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, if Jesus is God with us, then what we can know straight from the mouth of God who came to this earth and took on human flesh is that if if you want to know where you're going, here, here it is. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. It says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. You don't have to wonder about that. If, if Jesus is God with us. Jesus said something else that was recorded by another one of his disciples, the disciple John, in John's account of Jesus' life, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, listen, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He said, you've seen me, you've seen God. You've heard it from me, you've heard it from God. You see me doing it, that's God doing it. So the deal is, anything that you're wondering about God, Anything at all, any question you have for God, what is your one question if you could ask God and get a direct answer? What's that question? Anything that you're wondering, if Jesus Christ is God with us, we just look to Jesus and we have our answer. If Jesus is God. Now, I've been saying if a lot, and I know there's some of you are like, yeah, but that's a big if. You see, here's the deal. I'm just not sure that I believe that Jesus is, was literally God in human flesh, that Jesus was the son of God. I don't know 
that I buy that. You know, Jesus is a great teacher, maybe a great prophet, certainly an influential person, but I'm not so sure that I, I can totally buy this idea that Jesus was literally God in human flesh who came to be with us, all right? So if that's your objection, I want to tell you, you're in really, really good company. Because Jesus' own disciples struggled with this exact same thing. Did you know that? They had the hardest time believing that Jesus was God. In fact, that, the, that verse we just looked at where Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, you got to check out the context in which he said that because it's actually in a context of unbelief. So let's back up a couple of verses to verse 7. And this is, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, this is right at the end of Jesus' life, okay? This is like the last week. John 13 through 17 is like the last week of Jesus' life, okay? And so he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, he says, listen, guys, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. So what's he saying? He's saying, guys, listen, you want to know anything about God? I'm God. You want to know about your heavenly father? Right? Just look at me. I'm God. We're the same, okay? I'm God in human flesh. So you guys got it? You good? So from now on, you've seen, you've seen me. You've seen your heavenly father. Next thing you know, hand shoots up. Yes, Philip. Yeah, question. Philip said, uh, Lord, just show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Okay, not sure that was the best question. That was obviously an honest question. But look at Jesus' response. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time? Okay, three years. Three years. They have followed Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have been with Jesus. He says, Jesus says, don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Can you feel Jesus' frustration here with his disciple? You see, think about this. The disciples have spent the last three years with Jesus. They have seen him do countless miracles. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him calm a storm. They have seen him heal all sorts of people from all kinds of diseases. They've seen him cast demons out of people. They have seen him, him make blind people see, deaf people hear. They've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. And they have seen him teach crowds in which everyone was left jaw dropped at the teaching that everyone stood around afterwards and just said, wow, that's not of men. That, that is so profound. He teaches with a higher authority. They had seen all this stuff for years. And yet, they struggled to believe. So if that's you, you're in very good company. And I think I can kind of understand why. You know, sometimes I, I kind of... Um, pick on the disciples a little bit, but, but think about this for a minute. I mean, Jesus Christ was in the form of a human being. 
So the, you know, what our theology teaches us is that God was, or Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. But think about it. You're one of the disciples. You're following around someone. And yeah, he's doing all these amazing things, but he's still like a person that you can feel and touch. And you know, he, he still gets tired and hungry and all these kind of things. So you can see maybe why it was so hard for them to wrap their brains around that this human being, as like supernatural powers as he had, that he was God. I, I, can, I can understand that. I think I would have had a hard time too. But you know, as hard a time as the disciples had when Jesus was alive, the hardest time for them was actually after he was crucified. Because you see, after he was crucified and after he died, think about that. What was going on in their minds then? Well, you know, Man, he did all this amazing stuff. And he said he was the Savior. He said he was the Messiah. And you know what? We had hoped he was. But he's not. He's dead. I mean, we thought that he was going to come and save us, but how can he? He's dead. He's in the tomb. And so... Whatever hopes, whatever, maybe they had thought, yeah, you know, maybe he is this Messiah. Maybe he is the one who's to rescue us. But all that stuff ended when Jesus died. I mean, how could God be dead? He obviously couldn't be God. He's dead. And so they didn't believe. In fact, they hid, terrified. They huddled in a little room, his disciples. And you know what they wondered? Are we going to be next? They killed Jesus. Are they coming for us next? And so they huddled there. And they just sat there wondering what the future would bring. But then something happened. And whatever it was that happened, all of a sudden... The next thing you know, you see Philip. You know, Philip, he was the one who asked Jesus that question. <laughs> Could you just show us the Father? He obviously had a disconnect, didn't think that Jesus was God, okay? The next thing you know, Philip, the one who couldn't put the pieces together, who couldn't believe that Jesus was God, you know what he's doing? He's out preaching to anyone who will listen that Jesus is the Son of God that he has actually seen the risen Jesus, the one who was dead and has been raised to life. And you know, Philip was so fired up about this and so ultimately convinced about this that he went all the way to Syria and to Greece and modern-day Turkey proclaiming what he had seen. He had seen Jesus, that Jesus actually was God. And the only thing that stopped him were those who killed him for proclaiming because he would rather share the truth that he had found than be quiet about it. In fact, just 18 months ago, July 2011, 18 months ago, archaeologists in Turkey just found the tomb that was inscribed to the disciple Philip. Just 18 months ago. Pretty cool stuff. How about James? James, the brother of Jesus? 
he didn't believe that his brother was God. I mean, think about this. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? Right? He didn't believe it. He thought his brother was pretty cool. Brother's doing a lot of neat stuff. It probably was pretty fun to go around with Jesus. I mean, you know, your brother's a celebrity. You're probably going to want a little bit of that action, you know. So he's going around. There's obviously, there's clearly something special about his brother, but he didn't believe. His family really struggled with this, with this whole concept that Jesus was God, okay, while he was alive. Then he was crucified and he died. And then something happened. Because the next thing you know, James is going all around Jerusalem. And he's preaching that his brother is the son of God. And despite numerous threats on his life, just to be quiet, be quiet, stop saying that. Do you realize what you're doing? You're upsetting the balance of power with the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. How dare you say that? Just, just stop saying it. He knew what was coming. He refused, he refused, he refused. Because something had happened, he'd seen something. He claims he saw his brother raised from the dead the risen Lord, the Son of God. And in fact, the Jewish historian, he wasn't a Christian, the Jewish historian Josephus records that, that James, he went on proclaiming until eventually he was stoned. And Josephus writes that, um, that as James was being stoned, he was actually praying for those who were stoning him. You talk about someone who had a powerful, powerful experience with something. Something happened. Let me give you one more. Peter, the leader of the disciples. Peter was so freaked out. He was so scared that before Jesus was even killed, this was just at Jesus' arrest. Didn't even know what was going to happen to Jesus necessarily. Peter's outside a courtyard, runs into a little girl, and the little girl goes, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And then he just flipped out. He denied even knowing Jesus. He did that three times the night that Jesus was arrested, so scared that something was going to happen to him. Well, then something happened. And the next thing you know, this guy Peter, who wouldn't even admit to knowing Jesus to a little girl that asked him, all of a sudden, you know where he is? He's out in Jerusalem, and he is in front of the most powerful authorities in the land, the highest Jewish authorities, the highest Roman authorities, and he cannot shut up about what he has seen and what he has heard. And he just keeps saying, Jesus is the Savior of the world. You killed him, but we've seen him. He's alive. Put your faith in him. And they said, Peter, you better shut up. We are going to kill you. You better shut up, we're going to kill you. And he just refused. This guy who was cowering when a little girl asked him, something happened. What happened that would cause him to be so bold? Wasn't afraid of anything. Ultimately, when he was brought before the crazy emperor Nero in Rome, he still refused to be quiet. And his only request was, look, I know you're going to kill me but I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord and Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So please, when you do it, will you crucify me upside down? I'm not worthy. And that is how he was killed. I touched on this a few weeks ago. Our basis for belief as Christians 
our basis for belief isn't the Bible says so. That's not what makes us Christian. That's not the starting point for why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We don't just point to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and said, well, it said that they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, and so there it is. That's the basis for our faith. No. The basis for our faith is that we believe that something happened. Something happened. Our, our belief is based on actual events that took place 2,000 years ago that archaeologists are still unearthing and historians that weren't Christian, that didn't have any Christian agenda, in fact, often were antagonistic towards Christianity and mocking Jesus, were writing about the events that took place. Our belief isn't based on, well, the Bible says so. Our belief is based on actual events. Something happened in our midst. There is no disputing, there is no doubting, according to history, that there was a man named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived, and he rose to be a prominent figure, and he had a following. You can Google this, you can look it up, you can go to history books, you can read from historians who were not Christians. They write about this, multiple sources. And multiple sources write that this man named Jesus was crucified for stirring up all kinds of trouble and making bold, audacious claims. Claims that would be crazy. And he'd be an egomaniac saying, I am the Savior. Imagine if I stood here, you guys, and today I said, guess what? Derek 80, just believe in Derek. You'll be good. Just believe in me. You, you realize how stupid that sounds? He, he said stuff that's crazy if he's not God. And so history tells, he made these claims and he was crucified for claiming to be a king and a Messiah. He was killed for that. And then history also shows us hundreds of followers of Jesus who went to their graves proclaiming this crazy thing that they had seen the risen Jesus yeah, he was dead. We've seen him alive. And hundreds of people went to their death with the choice. You know what? Just be quiet. That's all you got to do. We know Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one we worship. Stop saying it or Rome will shut you down. You'll suffer the same faith that Jesus did. The Jewish authorities, do you realize what you're doing to the synagogue? Do you realize what you're doing to Judaism? You better stop right now or we will shut you down. And hundreds of people, read about them, open a history book. You know what they chose? They said, you know what? I can't be quiet. I gotta, I gotta declare this. I've seen it. I've seen him. He's God. And you know what? I don't, I don't have to wonder anymore. I know where I'm going. I've seen God in human flesh. Kill me. It's cool. I'm going to a better place. You, you, I'm going to win no matter what. So I'm just going to keep on proclaiming. And that is how this thing moved. That's how 2 billion people today call themselves Christians. That's just history. Google it. You can find it. That is how we know that Jesus is God with us. He's the only one in human history who successfully predicted 
and then pulled off his own resurrection. Now, there's been a lot of cool people. There have been a lot of great leaders in this world, worth following, worth emulating. But let me tell you something. I'm going to follow the one who did that. Predicted and pulled off his own resurrection, I'm following that guy. Like, whatever he said, I'm going to do. If he says it's true, I'm going to believe it's true. You know why? Because he did something, man. He, he, he pulled off something pretty, pretty amazing that kind of proved it to me. So he's the one I'm following. So just one more time as we conclude, and then we're going to take communion this morning. If Jesus is God who came to be with us, we don't have to wonder Whatever it is that you're wondering about God, open up the gospel accounts, these historical accounts written by his followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about what he said and what he did. You don't have to wonder if he truly is God. Now, uh, I see some of our communion team is heading back. If you're, if you're part of our communion team, please uh, go ahead and go to the back and, and grab the elements. So today, we're going to celebrate communion to, to conclude our service. And really what communion is, it's a celebration of Jesus coming to this earth. It's a celebration of God coming down to be with us and to show us how to live, to teach us about who he is, And even more than that, when we celebrate communion, what we celebrate is that he also came to die for us. It wasn't just to prove it so he could rise from the dead and and do something that was so powerful and so profound that many of us would be able to put our faith in him. But he actually did it, as we read a little bit ago in John 3.16, so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And so what we do is, when we we have the bread, we take a piece of bread and... um, This represents Jesus' body, which is broken for us. His sacrifice that he made, this cup, when we dip the bread into the cup, this represents his blood that was shed for us. For payment for all the sins, all the mistakes, everything bad in the world, anything that we've ever done, anything that we ever will done, Jesus died for those as a payment for those so that we could be made righteous by his body and his blood. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, just want to let you know, communion is open to everyone here at Grace. I don't feel like you have to if you don't want to, but um, music team is going to come up, and um, they're, going to, they're going to play a song. Um, you guys can, can feel free to take communion, and, um, and then just return to your seats after you're finished, and just kind of sing out that song with us, and then we will conclude our service. So let me pray for you, and then if you'd like to take communion, you, you can. God, I know just about every single person in this room wonders from time to time about you. God, from the most staunch skeptic to the person who's been in church just about every single week of their entire life. God, we have moments where we wonder. It's part of who we are. I know I do. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that if this is true, if this is true, that you have come to this earth, you've taken on the form of a human being to show yourself to us, the implications are huge. 
for many of us, God, we're like those disciples. This is so much to wrap our head around. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's so difficult to think, how could you be God and human at the same time? And how does that work? God, and, and we're just wrestling. I pray, God, you'd speak to us right now. You have a word for us right now. For those of us, God, and we put our faith in you just decades and decades ago. But you know at times we still wonder, God, reassure us. Bring us back to our starting point. That when we question everything, when nothing makes sense, we return to you, Jesus. What you said, what you did. We want to know something about you, God. We just look to your son. We can open up our Bible to those red letters. And we can count on it. We thank you for Christmas, celebrating you coming to be with us. We thank you for your sacrifice you made. And as we take communion this morning, we just remember your incredible love that you were so crazy about us, that you wanted to take on the form of a human being to show us how to live and ultimately to show us that you're willing to die for us, to secure our righteousness and our place in heaven. So we thank you and we come with joyful hearts this morning. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.